0: I realized that my mental health was kind of starting to go down into the gutter and by the time it became I want to say fall of 2012 I was really feeling horrible and it was never to the point where I couldn't get out of bed or socialize it was really just I felt trapped in my own body like I I didn't have a plan to commit suicide but I just didn't want to be here. I just wanted the pain to end and it was something that I couldn't explain to anybody.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to Normalize the Conversation. Today I'm here with Ariella Sharif, the founder of 8x1. Thank you so much for joining me.
0: Of course, I'm so excited to chat. This is so fun. So how are you? I'm okay. Today I'm okay. I've been very busy. I actually just came to LA to visit for two weeks and within my first week here decided I'm moving here. So I have been in the process of finding an apartment and a job and lots of crazy things happening, but all good things. I love that so much for you. I'm very excited. The sun does wonders for the mind,
1: right? Yeah. Crazy. I love that. I'm getting ready to move out to Cali too. So hopefully we can connect in person. Where do you live right now? I'm in Florida right now.
0: Oh, you are. Okay. That's why you said when you're going to Pepperdine in Cali. For some reason, I thought you were in Cali. That's awesome.
1: (laughs) Thank you. So tell me about eight by one. Okay, where to begin? Basically, long
0: story short, it was one of those things that I had no plans of ever doing. I was like, I will never be an entrepreneur. I will never start my own company. I don't want to have to take such huge risks when it comes to having things under my name and being accountable for them. That was just kind of a side note. Rewind to while I was in high school, something just didn't feel right. I, I don't even really know how to describe it. I wasn't socially awkward. I didn't really have social anxiety, but I just didn't feel like I necessarily fit in. And it was a very uncomfortable feeling. And at that time, nobody spoke about mental health. It wasn't something that was definitely not widely accepted, uh, especially in the school system and when it was time to apply for colleges or apply for a job. And I don't even really remember what came over me, but I kind of just said to my parents, you know, I think I need to speak with a therapist. So I started going to a therapist in high school and I was diagnosed with dysthymia, which is a form of chronic depression. Okay. I felt a little bit better now that I had a name for what I was feeling. And I definitely wasn't walking around being like, oh guys, by the way, did you know, like I It was still not spoken about, but just internally, I felt better knowing that I wasn't a crazy person. Fast forward to a few years after I started going to therapy, I started college in the fall of 2011. My very first semester, I actually was in London, England, and everyone who was there with me on my program was to go back to Northeastern University in Boston in the spring. Totally fine, was excited to go to a new city that I'd never been to before. London is definitely a gloomy city, like everybody says, and it did not really do great things for my mental health. So came back to Boston the following semester and was just trying to still get acclimated to college life in general. So not only was I now a freshman who was new to campus during the second semester, I was a freshman, period. I also was in my first relationship. It was long distance. Just a lot of weird things. Big life changes happening. And I realized that my mental health was kind of starting to go down into the gutter. And by the time it became, I want to say fall of 2000 and. 12, I was really feeling horrible. And it was never to the point where I couldn't get out of bed or socialize. It was really just, I felt trapped in my own body. Like I I didn't have a plan to commit suicide, but I just didn't want to be here. I just wanted the pain to end. And it was something that I couldn't explain to anybody because it's automatically a trigger for them to be like, Oh no, something bad is going to happen. But I'm sure as you can relate to, it's just a cry for help and a way to try and figure out what help is best for you. Exactly. So by the time spring of 2013 came, my relationship ended. Obviously, I thought my world was going to end, even though it was obviously not going to end. It was just a lot of things happening at once. Relationship, school was a lot. I didn't know what I wanted to study. I mean... I still don't know what I wanna study, even though we're way past the undergrad stages. And I had a mental breakdown and my mom just came to visit me for a weekend while I was in Boston. I couldn't stop crying and I felt like I was just so out of control. And I'd spoken to my therapist at the time. And I said, I, I think I need to go to the hospital. And she said, give it the night. If you're still feeling like you need to go to the hospital tomorrow, we'll talk again and come up with a plan. So I was like, okay, I'll try and get it together. My mom was supposed to fly back home. And as she was leaving the hotel, I just started hysterical crying. And I said, you can't leave. Like I need to go to the hospital. I I want to die basically. And obviously No parent wants to hear their child say that, and no parent really knows how to react when their child says that. So she said, I'm going to miss my flight. You can't do this to me now. Like, I have to go to the airport. And I said, okay, fine. So she had left, and a couple of my best friends had come, picked me up, and we were on our way to the hospital. And somehow my dad got wind of the whole situation, called me, said, turn around, don't go there. It's a trap, and convinced my mom to come back. My mom came back I stayed with her for a night in the hotel woke up the next morning and said no like I feel the same we have to go to the hospital went to the hospital walked in and I honestly I feel like I blacked out I'm not even sure what my mom had said to the receptionist but it was as if like someone had just walked in it was going to be a danger to everyone in the hospital. It was like, okay, we got to get this girl into a room. Immediately took me right into a room. It was a glass wall with a glass door so you could see everything in there. They put a cage on all of the medical equipment. I was freaking out because I was like, I'm I'm a harmless human being. I could not even ever hurt a fly and I don't want to hurt myself. I just, I feel lost. So I was in the emergency room for about eight hours and my mom went and got a few magazines and some candy and whatever just to try and make me feel a little more normal because obviously nothing about the situation was normal. I was evaluated by um, the psychiat- psychiatrist that was on call, and they ended up deciding that I should be transferred to McLean Hospital, which is outside of Boston. I'm not sure if you've ever seen the movie Girl Interrupted. I have. Angelina Jolie. You should watch it it's a great movie but basically it's about a psychiatric hospital and she's in a psychiatric hospital and the hospital that I went to was actually the hospital that the movie was based on oh, that's cool yeah so so now when I tell people my story I'm like yeah well I mean by the way this movie was based on this hospital like claim to fame So I was transferred to McLean. I think I got there. It was probably like one in the morning at this point. First time I'd ever been in an ambulance. And I was waiting in the waiting room. My mom had come with me. And then when they came down to take me up to my unit, they basically said, like, your mom can't come with you. I was like, okay. Had no idea what was about to happen. No clue what I was getting into. Rewind just a little bit. I find pennies everywhere they literally just appear I would be in Canada and an American penny would just appear heads up like I would just start collecting them so eventually got to a point where I was like this is a sign I'm not sure who's signed from what the sign is but like someone is leaving pennies for me everywhere I get up to the unit they had cut all of the ties out of my sweatshirt I was wearing, the sweatpants I was wearing, they took everything away from me, including my cell phone. I think they even took my deodorant away from me because it could be toxic if I tried to eat it, which I would never eat deodorant personally, <laughs> but I'm sitting in a chair while they're doing all this and checking me in, and I looked down and there was a penny on the ground. So being in a place that is extremely sterile and there's really nothing within arm's reach, to look down and see a penny. I like, I, I don't even know how I felt at that moment. I've never felt so comfortable knowing that whatever was about to happen was going to be okay. Like I was going to be okay. So they take me to my room, which I was sharing with another person. This person was asleep when I got there because it was now about 1.30 or two in the morning. So I was walking into this room and I was about to wake up basically next to a stranger. I get to the room and they put, I thought this was actually very cute. They put name tags on the doors and they were kind of like little artistic name tags on construction paper or something. And my roommate's name was Brianna. Obviously I had no idea who she was. Two days before I had gone to the hospital, my mom and I went to see a random psychic in the city just as kind of a fun activity and Obviously, he was telling me all this information that made no sense to me whatsoever. And one of the things he said was, are you friends with a girl named Brianna? And I said, I only know one Brianna. She's in my sorority. We're not really friends. He goes, okay, just keep an eye out. If you ever come across anyone named Brianna, just have it on your radar. It's like, okay, random. I get to my room and my roommate's name is Brianna. So in my head, I'm like, okay, I'm about to go to sleep and possibly not wake up because I'm sleeping in a room with someone that a psychic told me specifically to be aware of. And I totally, I don't really fully believe in like psychics and mediums and all that stuff, but he literally said her name. And after finding a penny and then going to my room and having her roommate named Brianna, it just was a weird thing. Fast forward a bit. I lasted about 24 hours in the hospital because I was like, I I don't need to be here. The people there were so beyond what I was experiencing. And if I was on their level, I totally would understand. But I had a realization that what I needed was just to take time to myself and really look back and I guess take a second to internalize what I wanted in life and what was really going on because if you think about it it's like you go through school for however many years straight you never really have a second to just sit and be like what do I really want out of life very true so I left the hospital after having to pull a lot of strings and I went to my parents house I was supposed to be there for about a week and one day I just said I can't go back to school right now I need to stay home. I need to take care of my mental health. I I don't want to disappoint anybody, but I also don't want to be in this state while I'm supposed to have the best years of my life at college. Yeah. My parents agreed after getting a little bit heated, and then I ended up taking a semester off of school. and I, for the first like couple of months, I was literally a zombie as I'm sure you can relate to when you're depressed or anxious. It's just like nothing in the world matters. You can't, you can't even really sit there and concentrate on watching TV, even though everyone says, Oh my God, I would love to just sit and watch TV all day. I'm like, no, like you're not actually watching. You're looking, you're seeing things but they're not registering because you're just so stuck in your head. After a few months, I started feeling better. I started talking to a psychiatrist. It was my first time on medication and I started getting really bored and I loved doing crafts. So I had a huge jar of pennies in my parents' room from the ones that I'd collected. And I made a bracelet out of a penny. So I took a, a drill and I put a hole on either side and tied a piece of string on it. And I wore it as a bracelet. And I just pretended that I got this really cool, fashionable bracelet from this new company. And <laughs> I didn't really, I don't know why I thought that it would be a good idea to just like fake this business idea because people genuinely became interested in it. They were like, where did you get that bracelet? Like, it's so cool. It's so fun. I want to buy it as a gift. And I was like, oh, it's from this really cool new company called Heads Up for Charity. I had no idea what I was doing. Not a clue. Fast forward really extremely fast. I created a company that at that point was called Heads Up for Charity. And my goal was to create a brand that was charitable. So I wasn't even creating a company to make money off of it necessarily. So each bracelet was a different color and it would support a different charity. I started with just the penny bracelets. Then I started expanding. I've always been really into fashion. I've worked at a few different brands. I knew how to source things. And about a year later, I had done a million different events for tons of colleges, tons of organizations, and was able to donate over $25,000 to Mm -hmm. over 20 organizations, which was awesome. And I still don't know what I'm doing at this point, but my mental health journey led me to that point and it gave me the confidence to know that like regardless of what you feel in this exact moment if you think that something is not going to work out in your favor it might not but that doesn't mean that something else that is better isn't coming exactly. so while I had heads up for charity also stop me if this is way too long I feel like you I have so much good. information I okay okay <laughs> I had a heads up for charity and I went back to college. So I went back to college with a new full-time job and I was a full-time student. And it got to the point where I was like, I, I didn't mean to make business, but now I have business. I don't want it to just like fizzle away because I had something really good, but I also want to concentrate on school. So I had to kind of put heads up on the back burner for a little while, finish school, graduated, got my degree. And I moved to Toronto right after I graduated. In between graduating and today, I've had a lot of life-changing experiences. I had my first job when I was there. I had an experience having to get permanent residency while I was there. I, what else? Just like I lived in my first apartment alone while I was there and I mean this is all within the past five years so some of it is more recent but everyone was begging me to bring back my company and in my head I was thinking oh like so much work I don't know what I'm doing I don't know if I really want to but then in the back of my mind I was I was convincing myself that I was just being an idiot I was like what am I thinking everyone clearly thinks that what I had going was great I should just be confident in myself. End of story. So I started 8 by one basically just rebranded Heads Up for Charity. It's exactly the same business model. Every sale supports charity. And 8x1 represents 8 by one represents 8000000000 people in the world and one person it takes to change it. I love that. So yeah, I don't, I honestly, I don't even know how that name came. I think I was crafting one night with a friend, because I guess that's what you do when you're in your mid-20s, early 30s, and we were sitting outside on the balcony having a glass of wine and just beading bracelets, and I'd made one bracelet that had eight colored beads on it, and the rest were gold beads, and another bracelet with one gold bead, and the rest color beads, and then it was like, hey, I think I just came up with my next business idea. So I just, I ran with it and I still don't know what I'm doing. Like everyone always asks me, well, how do you know how to start a clothing line? How do you know how to build an email list? How do you know how to make a website? How do you know how to do basics such as like your taxes? Like I, I literally don't know. So then when I start talking about mental health and how how it all tied into this, it's one of those things that people are almost in shock when I say I've generalized anxiety disorder and depression because, as you know, the stigma is very real. And when you say that out loud, people just have this image in their head of people with mental illness being crazy.
1: Exactly. And I think one of the most common things I get when I say that I live with um, depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder is you don't look like it. But when you, it you look say, like?
0: what does it look like? Exactly. And I used to take offense to that, but then I realized it's because people are just not educated enough to know that you can't see it, like you really can't see it, and it does not mean that a person can't be extremely successful, it does not mean that they can't lead a normal, whatever normal means, a normal life. It's simply an internal battle, which everyone has, whether they like to admit it or not, nobody's perfect. So I began changing the narrative that I told myself when I would get offended when someone would say, well, you don't look like it. And I said, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with them and how they grew up and what they know, but it's not their fault. So back to what you're doing with, inspiring my generation is I honestly at your age I was like oh my god I should be married by now I should be living in a house like I should be having kids to know exactly what you need to do to change the story about around mental health is so important and so incredible when I was, that you were I think I was a few years younger than you are now I started a blog too, which actually happened before my company. And the first blog post ever was my experience in the psychiatric hospital. The second I hit publish, my parents in the other room started yelling at me and saying, you can't do that. People aren't going to hire you. No one's going to want to be friends with you. Like you sound like a crazy I got person.
1: the exact same response when I did mine. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it was, it was the most upsetting thing ever. It's like, You're literally, you're bashing my experience. This is what happened. You can't change it and other people need to hear it because there are obviously other people out there, none of who I knew yet, that need to know that they're not alone. I was going to delete it and I decided to leave it and the response was incredible. The amount of people who reached out to me saying, thank you so much for sharing your story. I have a similar story, but I've always been too scared to speak up. You have no idea how much this means to me. And it was people that I would never have ever assumed were in my position. So to be your age and know how necessary this is and to be creating something like larger than life, it's so,
1: so, so important and incredible. Thank you. I think you're absolutely incredible. To come up with taking pennies and creating a bracelet and then a whole company based on helping out and donating to mental health and changing the world and getting people involved because it's not just about you taking the proceeds and donating it, but other people knowing that their purchase is going to go help mental health. And it really helps to normalize the conversation and get people involved. Exactly. 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 And I always say, if you don't know how
0: to help, it's it's like everyone goes shopping. Everyone wants to treat themselves every once in a while. And so why not buy something like a cozy sweatsuit for yourself and know that with that, you're still supporting an awesome charity. Okay. And I mean, I personally, what fuels me is giving back to anybody. And for mental health, as I'm sure you know, it is so important. Gratitude is like the attitude. So it's, there's no more of a perfect way to, to practice it than giving back.
1: Exactly. And I love that because I'm the same way. And when I have like overwhelming intrusive thoughts or I'm having a manic episode or just a depressive episode, I sit down and I make my encouragement cards. And it sounds so silly, but coloring like helpful, supportive and encouraging, encouraging notes for other people helps me feel not alone and like I'm going to help somebody else so it's okay if I don't feel okay right now because I'm using my pain to help someone else who's in that same pain exactly and I'm sure after even making one card you probably feel better exactly it's incredible to help people and to be not necessarily grateful for how you're feeling when you're feeling down but being grateful that you have the tools to help yourself get through it and to help others
0: Absolutely. And it's so much trial and error. It's not like you wake up one day and be like, oh, yeah. So I was just diagnosed yesterday with generalized anxiety disorder today. This is what I'm going to do to help myself. No, it doesn't it does not ever go away. And that is a bit of an unfortunate part to having mental illness. But at the same time, I like to say it is our superpower because nobody I shouldn't say nobody, not everybody has the experience of feeling so incredibly awful. They don't want to be here and then working their way out of it and then feeling so empowered by getting themselves out of this dark place into this beautiful, happy place like that in and of itself is such an accomplishment. And a lot of people don't get to experience that. Everything is so tangible in normal
1: life. Exactly, and that's where a lot of the beauty comes from being able to take that pain and turn it into a purpose. Exactly. I love that line.
0: I turn heard, pain so, into purpose.
1: I heard it the other day. I totally stole oh, it from someone else.
0: That's a beautiful one. It I'm is. stealing
1: it from you. I'll give you credit. <laughs> so, I want to go back to your experience in the psych ward because I had a similar experience going into the hospital It's like there's a waiting room full of people and they still push you straight back into a room. You're in like your own kind of corner in the room. And I mean, I had somebody next to me the whole time. They wouldn't leave me by myself. Someone had to be in the room. And then, like you said, being put in a glass room and everyone can see you and not knowing. I got put in a glass room with an older man who was screaming the whole time. It was the middle of the night. I was terrified, didn't have any idea what was going on. I wasn't allowed to see my family anymore, got to that point after the ambulance, and I was no idea what was going on, terrified. And it's kind of comforting to hear that other people have that same experience because I felt so alone in it. I've had so many people like they just went straight up into the psych ward and it was okay and they kind of got situated, but a lot of people haven't had that same in the glass room that all of a sudden you're brought into another room with a roommate gonna wake up next to a stranger what do you do right right it can be terrifying
0: a hundred percent and to be honest I had never never known anyone who had been to a psychiatric hospital I really I was so alone in my experience especially because mental illness was not spoken about where I grew up within my community of friends within my family and it wasn't there was no background on it saying, if you ever feel like this, this is what you should do. It's kind of like you get so low that you just don't know what to do and you end up in the hospital kind of thing. Cause that's the last resort. So I, I was at that point, I didn't know what to do. And I thought the only, the only thing that would save me was going to the hospital. And yeah, I mean, being in a, a room that was just covered with a glass wall was probably the most dehumanizing experience I've ever had. I kind of felt like I was a caged animal and, or I was like in a zoo and everyone was just looking at me. There was a nurse. I don't remember if it was a nurse or a volunteer sitting right outside at a desk facing my room for the entire eight hours that I was there. And it was, it's a very uncomfortable experience. Like even with someone in the room, my mom was there with me, but both of us were, were like, what is going on here? This is so, so weird. You would think they would just put me in a normal room, but I guess in instances where they really don't know your level of of mental illness, it's hard to say if someone is a danger to themselves or to others, but yeah, it is.
1: it is quite the experience. <laughs> It is. And I feel like there's just a better way to make people feel more comfortable because so many people are afraid to reach out for help and to go to a hospital to get support because of these horror stories of these, what's going to happen to me? Are people going to judge me? What is it going to look like? And if they knew there was a supportive system set up where, like, I wasn't evaluated by a psychiatrist before being brought up to the psych ward. And I kept asking to see one. And I didn't see one till my second day inside the psych ward. Oh, wow. And they just go through and they check off. They ask you questions like, how are you feeling right now? Are you depressed? And they just check off a bunch of boxes. And then that's it. That's your evaluation. Right. There should be a more supportive system kind of place. So that way, when you get out, you know, next time I'm feeling down, this is what I can do. These are the tools yeah. I have. Because a lot of times you come out of the psych ward and you're like, well, now what? I still don't know what to do. A hundred percent.
0: It's interesting that you say that. I was watching a documentary the other day and I forget which one it was. And a man who had previously been in prison started volunteering for an organization that basically picks prisoners up as they're uh, being let out of jail takes them to their first meal buys them their first outfit and just helps them acclimate into society again but I almost I almost feel like someone needs to come up with how to do that for someone who has experienced a mental health crisis because it's not about acclimating to how to go to a grocery store or you know set up a phone a phone line or anything like that but it's what happens if this happens again? And who do I talk to to avoid getting there? And you're, you're totally in your own world. Yes, they can give you a phone number and say, call this line if you ever feel suicidal or we're gonna refer you to a therapist or a psychiatrist. And it's like, okay, but these, these are people who are out in the community. Yes, I understand to help someone like me, but where are the people who have experienced this before who can help me right now with what I'm going through? So it's almost like a a network of people who have been there, done that kind of thing.
1: Exactly. And all that really goes back into being able to end the stigma so that we can have conversations. Because if people could speak openly about their experiences without this fear of being judged by their friends, their loved ones, society as a whole, I think we'd be able to have that support and have that community. A hundred percent. And I'm sure that you could probably
0: relate to this as well, as much as you and I are people who speak about it all the time and so openly, and we're here to help anybody who may need it, it's still hard. It it gets easier, but it's still hard. And I think that the problem is that people think that the second you start talking about it, it's automatically comfortable, but it really, it doesn't get comfortable. You have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable so that we can get to the point of, you know, Joe Schmoe, who has never spoken about his story out loud, being comfortable enough to speak about it, even if it's one time. And the stigma is, I feel like it's getting into this weird cycle where there was just the stigma. And now it's just everyone talking about how to end the stigma. And we still talk about the stigma, because we're talking about how to end the stigma. So it almost just needs to get to a point where it's like, What's up? Like, are you depressed today? How is your anxiety done? Not, oh, like I know this might be a touchy subject, but like I don't want the stigma to be a thing. Like, how are you feeling? Instead of like tiptoeing around it, we just gotta like do it, which is what you're doing so seamlessly and is amazing. But yeah, it's it's all about you know shattering the glass ceilings that have been created.
1: I completely agree, and. Even the question, how are you, has become a greeting. It's not a real genuine question. We've done everything we can in society to kind of perpetuate this taboo feeling around mental health. Like, how are you should be a question of how are you feeling? How are you doing? And instead it's, hey, how are you? Fine, you, and walk away. Yeah, yeah. And that's
0: something I've begun to train myself on when someone asks me how I am, instead of saying, I'm fine, or I'm good, I actually take a second to really think about how I am. And even if it's someone who is a stranger, like you were before this call, I will take the time to actually tell them how I am. I mean, you're asking, you might want to know, you might not care to know, but you asked me, so I'm going to answer it honestly. I I think that we're definitely making the right moves as a society to... To step in the right direction towards not making these conversations uncomfortable and making them just normal and and saving people from feeling embarrassed to actually talk about how they feel because it's it's not embarrassing it's life if you feel good all of the time you're lying you're either lying to whoever is asking you or you're lying to yourself so. so yeah it's It's a a problem that now more than ever is definitely going to be an issue because of the pandemic, obviously. It's a good thing and a bad thing. People are now recognizing how important mental health is, but there are going to be so many people who have never had to deal with it before who are going to be stuck and struggling.
1: And it would have been amazing if we had already had these tools and resources put together for everyone. But now we're kind of seeing everyone's in the same boat. No one knows what to do. Exactly. How do you cope? What is coping? Is it okay to feel sad? Am I feeling too sad? What does this mean? Can I reach out for help? The wait to get into a therapist today because everybody wants to see one. It's everyone's now stuck in that same boat of what's next? What do I do? Yeah. Right. Right. And
0: I always feel weird, you know, talking about myself in not an egotistical sense, but talking myself up, I guess. We are lucky to be who we are and have gone through what we have gone through before this point in time, because we do know how to cope better than other people. So the other people who are going to need support are going to come to us. Obviously, I can't tell them what how to feel in a pandemic. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel during a pandemic, but but at least we know when you're feeling a certain way, you should do this, this, and this.
1: Exactly. And when I had posted something on my story that I was having just an episode of depression, you were one of two people who reached out to me and were like, I'm here for you. I know what you're going through. I just got the chills. <laughs> you don't know how much that meant to me because I'm so big on talking about mental health. I'm completely honest and open. And yet if I reach out to anybody and I'm like, I'm feeling depressed, be like, okay. You know, it's like, yeah, I will like, of course you are. You want attention. Right. And for you to be like, I know what you're going through. I'm here for you. And then you checked in. And if everybody could do that for a stranger, for a friend, for a loved one, for anyone, the world would be a much better place.
0: Maybe we should start an Instagram challenge, the check-in challenge. I love that, right? Even if it's not, if someone's having a bad day, if someone's just having like whatever kind of day they are today, I'm having a great day. It's sunny outside. I'm next to a palm tree. Like if someone just messaged me being like, Hey, like, how are you? And it wasn't necessarily someone in my network. I think that'd be the coolest thing ever. I agree. We should do this. Okay. The check-in challenge. (laughs) Let's do it. Started here seriously oh my god i love it i do too Arya. Yeah, thank you
1: oh sorry uh, you can talk.
0: oh no sorry someone's just facetiming me ah uh. okay there we go sorry you are, where did you go okay
1: i was gonna say thank you so so much for joining me you are absolutely incredible
0: thank you this was so lovely and i'm looking forward to chatting more offline and being in Cali together.